The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for your word this morning, and we give thanks for the chance to worship you, the triune God who has created us and holds us in existence even now and the God who is redeeming us and making us one in Christ. Help us to see your beauty, to love one another, and to be one so that the world can know that you sent Jesus in your love. We ask for your Holy Spirit to unite us, to illuminate this text, and God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. By 1968, the Beatles were already dividing. This was the year that the Beatles recorded their massive 30-song double album called The Beatles, known more popularly as The White Album. And it was during this time that divisions began to surface that would eventually rupture and break up the band completely in two years. It was during the recording of the White Album that John and Paul and sometimes George would be recording in three separate studios with three different engineers on their own songs, almost as if the White Album was three different solo records kind of glued together. Of the 30 songs on the album, only 16 have all four members of the band playing on the song. Ringo quit the band for two weeks. This was a time when divisions began to surface that would eventually break up the band. Even though there's the Beatles embossed on that iconic cover, the Beatles were beginning to divide. In John 17, Jesus prays for his church to be one. And while we might put forth a pretense to being united, while all churches around the globe might slap church on the cover of our album, in reality, there's division. In reality, we are fractured and broken and divided. And the church that Jesus prays for oneness, his one body, is separated. In fact, the Encyclopedia of American Religions 
tells us that in America, there are over a thousand Christian denominations. A thousand. Now, some of those we could group under similar family headings, like Baptist or Presbyterian or Lutheran. But that immediately raises the question, if there are 300 different church traditions that consider themselves Baptist, why aren't they all just one church? Right? And these schisms, every time a church splits, every time a denomination splits, it opens up fresh wounds and it distorts who we become. Right? When church A splits from church B over issue X, issue X starts to look really important, even if it's relatively minor. But from then on, church A and church B begin to define and transform themselves around issue X, distorting unity further. We are divided. Histories of divergent doctrine divide us. Histories of animosity divide us. Histories of pride and petty and toxic personalities divide us. Histories of prejudice and inequality divide us. Histories of sin divide the one body of Jesus. But he calls us to something better. And in John 17, he prays for his body for the church to be one. So we're gonna spend the next seven weeks as a church focusing on one in Christ, a call to unity. A call to unity within our congregation and without, with all Christians. We're gonna focus for the next seven weeks leading up to Easter and just beyond on being one in Christ, on focusing on Paul's words in Ephesians chapter four that we just recited, on what it means to be one body, in one spirit, with one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, united in one God. So we're gonna begin this morning looking at the one body of Christ and looking at the words that have the power to heal all divisions, the words of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Let's turn back over, beginning in verse 11. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's something really remarkable in verse 20. Did you know that you are mentioned directly in the New Testament? Not by name, but in verse 11, Jesus is praying for his apostles to be one. The people right there, witnesses to his resurrection. But then in verse 20, he says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. Right, imagine if you picked up a copy of Homer's Odyssey, flipped through and found a page about residents of Oklahoma. Obviously, it's not that specific here, but Jesus is talking about us. We're the ones who believe based on the witness of the apostles. 
right? It's, it's come all the way down through the centuries to us. Jesus is specifically talking about us in John 17. We're in the New Testament. Jesus prays for us to be one. But the excitement begins to fade when we realize that Jesus' prayer has not yet been fully answered. When we look around us and see that the church is not one, it's divided. It's the second Sunday of Lent, and Lent always begins on Ash Wednesday. So a couple weeks ago, I asked my dad to accompany me to an Ash Wednesday service just down the road at St. Monica's Catholic Church. And this was, these are our neighbors just to the south on Western. This was a little out of my dad's comfort zone, but he came. And it's a good, good people there. I've, I've had coffee with the priest and with the director of music there. And so we walk in and we, we sit down and in the pew, I was pleased to discover that because our theme here at the Springs this year is Gather United in Christ, they had a booklet with that very title in Spanish and English, United in Christ. And I opened up the booklet and a few pages in, I found actually a reference to our text this morning, John 17, 21, that we would be one, Jesus' prayer. And then it was in the next paragraph where the booklet outlined that believers like my dad and myself are not ordinarily allowed to participate in communion with them. Now, I knew that going in. And honestly, it was worded really graciously and lamented in the booklet. But it still served as this stark, visceral reminder that the church is not one, that we are divided. The Roman Catholic Church is the largest church on earth, 1.3 billion people. But then there are about another billion Jesus followers in the world. So it's a really big problem that about a billion Jesus followers can't eat Jesus' meal with about a billion other Jesus followers. That's a problem. We're divided. Even the meal that is supposed to establish our unity as a church. Now, one of the ways we can solve this problem is just to write each other off. We can just say, the church is one because the church is me. Right? And whoever is with me is one with Christ. That, that's a move that can be made, has been made. It's kind of the, the no true Scotsman fallacy. Have you ever heard of the no true Scotsman fallacy? Right? If somebody says, no Scotsman would put cream in his tea. And then somebody says, well, I have a cousin. He's a Scotsman. He puts cream in his tea. Well, no true Scotsman would put cream in his tea. Right? You move the goalpost. We can say whoever's with us is with us and whoever's not is against us and they're not one, but we should be cautious about that. We should be cautious about that move, especially because Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit and we see a lot of fruit in every corner of the Christian world. 
No, it's far too easy to abstractly write off millions and millions of Jesus followers when Jesus calls us concretely to be one. But we're not one. And that's a problem inside the church, but it's also a problem outside the church. Let's continue in John 17, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you notice the purpose there? The purpose of being united is so that the world can know the one God, is so that the world can know John 3.16, so that they can know that God sent his one and only son because he so loved the world. But when we're not one, we distort the witness of the gospel, right? When we're not one, we obscure that truth. We just spent four weeks talking about mission, about getting the gospel to the world, and we are better together, as we said, four weeks. But we're not always together. And it hurts our witness, it hurts our mission. Of course, it's a problem inside the church, but it's also a problem outside the church. When people outside of Jesus look on us and see our our petty squabbles and our divisions. This was brought home to me a couple weeks ago, a month ago, reading a children's book with my kids. Brought home a, a Dr. Seuss book that I hadn't read before and we came across one of the short stories called The Zacks. Maybe you've read it. But a north-going Zacks meets a south-going Zacks in the prairie of Prax. And as you might guess, they get stopped in their tracks. And so both of them refuse to move. And the south-going Zacks tells the north-going Zacks, hey, you got to move. And he says, no, I'll stand here for 59 days if I have to. Right? And then the other one says, well, I'll stand here for 59 years if I have to. For I live by a rule, he says, that I learned as a boy in south-going school, never budge. That's my rule. Never budge in the least, not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging. I can and I will if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. But we find in the last couple pages that the world doesn't stand still. The world keeps spinning. And so they build this highway over those two Zacks who are still standing unbudged in their tracks. And reading this story, it just kind of slapped me in the face. That's how the world sees the church. Sometimes that's what we look like to the world outside. That, that two churches are standing this close to each other on a street corner fighting the same little battle for 59 years while the world and its need for Jesus spins madly on. 
Now, I'm not saying that all we have to do is simply ride every wave of culture and just kind of get with the times, right? The times have enough trouble of their own. But what I'm saying is our disunity, especially when it's the result of hard-hearted, narrow-mindedness, calcified, unbudging will, is a drag on the witness and mission we have to Jesus. If we're divided because we refuse to budge or learn or move, then how are we being transformed? That's our mission here, being transformed into the image of Christ. Transformation implies change. So we have to realize in humility that all of us have something left to learn. Right? Unity is going to take humility, admitting that the Spirit still has more to teach us. That's what Jesus says, the chapter right before this in John 16. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I think sometimes we've divided the church because we believed we had nothing left to learn from the Holy Spirit. We've divided the church because we just said, all right, Holy Spirit, that's good. Thanks. We'll take it from here. Thanks for getting us this far. Job's done. Right? We, we want to freeze the church exactly where we've found it But none of us can claim to possess the church in its final form. Because the church belongs to the infinity of God. Right? That's where we're headed. And John Webster says the church is not finished. It learns itself over time. It does not possess itself wholly because its source of life is the infinity of God. So if the Spirit is still teaching us, if we still have more to learn, if our destiny is the infinity of God, then none of us can claim to have a monopoly on the one body of Christ. Right? None of us can claim to have the only game in town. Right? Instead, we don't pretend to be the one true church. We seek to be a church that is truly one. We don't pretend to be the one true church. We seek to be a church that authentically, truly lives in sharing the communion of the gospel with one another in unity, with those outside our walls, in other churches, in unity. The one body is the one true church, but that body is divided But insofar as we live into the unity of Jesus, we participate in that one body. And we call people to that one body by being a church that is truly one in Christ. So we seek oneness. We seek oneness in worship. We seek oneness in the way we serve together. We seek oneness in the way we listen to each other, in the way we converse and even disagree, in humility. We'll have squabbles. We'll have conflict. We're a church in a fallen world. But we do it with the goal of the oneness of God's eternity in mind. We seek oneness, especially 
and prayer. Unity won't happen until we join Jesus in praying for it. Unity won't happen until we join Jesus in praying for it. And I love the movement of prayer that I really feel is is igniting in this church. We've always been a prayerful church, but I, I feel that we are moving towards more prayer. And that prayer ought to be directed at being one. Ought to be directed at what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants this, so I want that. Or if I don't, I want to want what Jesus wants. Right, because being one means coming into proximity with people that might make us uncomfortable, with other tribes that might make us uncomfortable. But Jesus wants this, and Jesus is going to get his one body, so we ought to pray for it. What if we viewed every Christian with whom we disagreed through the lens of Jesus' prayer in John 17? What if we came across, the next time we come across a Catholic, an Orthodox, a Presbyterian, a Baptist, or just another Church of Christer that we disagree with, what if we viewed them through the lens of Jesus' prayer? I think sometimes we don't pray Jesus' prayer in John 17. I think sometimes we pray the Pharisee's prayer in Luke 18. Right, the Pharisee who Jesus says is standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I've prayed that prayer. That, that's the prayer of my sinful heart. God, thank you for not making me that. God, thank you for not making me Catholic or Orthodox or Presbyterian or Baptist or just another Church of Christer that I disagree with. God, thank you for not making me that church that's way to this side of me and that church that's way to this side of me. Thank you for not making me belong to that political party. Thank you for not making me worship that way. Thanks, God, that I'm not like other people. But as long as we pray the prayer of the Pharisee, we're never gonna be one in Jesus Christ. We've got to pray the prayer of Jesus. What if we came across somebody different from us and thought instead, hey, I'm mentioned in the New Testament with this person. Jesus talked about me and this person in John 17. He prayed for me and this person to be one. Think of how that might change our hearts to those outside of us. It could change our church, it could change our city, it could change our lives, Springs. So there's good news and there's bad news about unity. The bad news is that the church is not united. The church is not united and there is no one size fits all silver bullet cookie cutter solution to that problem. The church is not united, we're divided. But the good news is that Jesus has prayed for us to be one. And what Jesus prays for is going to happen. As Peter Lightheart says, Jesus asked the Father, the Son asked the Father for his followers to be one. The Father's gonna give the Son what he asked for. Right? The Father's not gonna give the Son 
stone instead of a bread. Right? The Father's going to give that oneness. The oneness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will win out. And they will unite us as the one body of Jesus Christ. That body traverses a fallen world right now. A broken world. And so we are broken. It's a broken body. But the body of Jesus has been broken before. The body of Jesus was broken in Jerusalem. It was broken on the cross. It was broken in the grave. But the body of Jesus rose in wholeness. And this broken body of the church on earth can be raised to resilient life in unity. One in Christ. Church, let us put our hope our trust, our faith, our baptism in that one spirit, that one Lord, that one God and Father of all who unites us and will raise us up a broken body resurrected one in Christ. Let us stand and praise with one voice the Jesus who prays for oneness.